Loose ball. Ewing goes up. The basket counts. He gets it over to the doctor. Time all game. Here's a shot, Julius. He scores! He scores! Anthony for three. Bang! That one goes down, and the game is tied! Here is Durant moving on Tucker. He turns. He shoots. Yes! Knicks, Nets, and all things across the association. This is Pick and Pod on WFUV Sports. Welcome in, everybody, to another episode of Pick and Pod here on WFUV Sports. It's Friday, December 8th. I'm Chris Percyinen, alongside Ben Oppenheimer and Bridge Gotham. We're here in the lovely studios in the Bronx of WFUV Sports. Personally, very ready to talk about the NBA. So, guys, a lot going on right now. It is that infamous dead period of the NBA regular season. Thanksgiving is behind us. Christmas is like a month away still. And we've got a stretch of games that everyone knows mean nothing. But now the stakes are literally higher than ever for this stretch of the season as the NBA's in-season tournament has long been upon us and we are now finally at the stage of it where these teams are heading to Las Vegas and competing in the semifinals and finals. Last night we had the semifinals go down on each side of the bracket, two teams from each conference. I want to throw it right to you, Bridge, and then to Ben. Just before we even really get into the games, last night's hardwood action, let's talk about the off-court action, the mm-hmm. marketing, the promotion. It's a craze right now with the in-season tournament. What do you make of it all? Look, I this is something obviously completely new. The league has never done anything like this before. You see this model a little bit in soccer, right? With overseas in Europe, you take teams from different leagues and you play in a tournament that has nothing to do with the your individual league. The NBA kind of adopting a model like this because, as you mentioned, Chris, November and December games up until Christmas, viewership not great, not a lot of fan engagement, and it makes sense because it's a long season, and these games, yes, every game matters equally, but it's hard to get the fans engaged this time of year when you know that if you tune in March and April and into that playoffs, that's when all the action happens. But this tournament has really changed things, and I I wouldn't say I was anti-tournament before it. I would say I was tournament-confused. I didn't really understand what it was. I mean, it's an in-season tournament, but there are a lot of particulars that I think we'll get into. You have the group stage, which are games that count for your regular season, and then an actual bracket gets formed. And so I think you talk about the marketing and the craze, Chris. I think the NBA did a good job in terms of promoting it. I think maybe some of the particulars could have been explained a little bit better. But even when I've done my research to fully understand it, It still is a little bit confusing. Obviously, we can understand it, but I think for a lot of the casual fans, they're just like, oh, how does this work? We won these games. That game on Friday, that counts, but the Tuesday game doesn't count. So we won our group. So what does that mean, right? So there's all these different things. I'll cut to the chase. I think it's been a good thing for the league, and we'll get into the matchups themselves. And, uh, well, Ben, let that, do you agree? Maybe some tweaks needed, Bridge, to the the design. It's just the first year. Um, But I think we're in agreement that, this thing is going well so far, Ben. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I will say that in terms of being anti NBA in season tournament, I was firmly in that camp, and I'm coming to eat my words. I said it on one on one a month or so ago. 
and I said it was a horrible decision. I said it was just like throwing any solutions you had at the wall and just seeing what sticks. And and I thought, you know what would have been better to have some modifications for the NBA for this season? Shorten it to a 66-game season. Oh, I, I still agree with get, that. Oh, I still agree with yeah. that, obviously. Um, get rid of or at least crack down on load management. Yes. Make some make some other adjustments. Maybe maybe some adjustments adjustments on the defensive rules regarding that. Make it a bit of a of a tougher game. But you know, coming into this in season tournament, I, I was highly skeptical. I, I was I thought the courts looked ridiculous, and to be honest, they still, they still do. do. Yeah. They they still do. Mm-hmm. Um, and and Julia told me that I hate fun for for disliking some of the aesthetic tastes of the. Courts. I just want to be um, able to watch basketball yeah. and see what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. But look, some I was, of them are bad. Yeah, yeah. I was proven wrong, and I'm happy to say that I was. This is great for the NBA right now, guys. I mean, local viewership for group play games up 20% from last November. So it's showing up in the ratings, in these, in the statistics. National games have shot up 26% in viewership. League pass viewership, which is thought of as as more obscure, um, that's increased by 25%. The league's average attendance was the highest ever for November, and the NBA's app and social channels had their best first month of the season, 3.9 billion video views ever. I think that's a massive success. Now, obviously, it's a little raw. It it needs some, some kinks that need to be figured out, but... I think this is a great starting point. I, I, I'm pleasantly surprised right now. And it, it's adding an electricity to the season that, that we didn't see before. And I thought it was ridiculous, you know, playing for for a, a cash prize, $500,000. At first, you know, I thought this is seems like a gimmick. But now it, the, the players are are motivated to get that money. You know, you saw that that video of Julius Randle. He wanted to get that watch. Now, I don't know if if um, he's he's going to end up getting it now because obviously Knicks have been eliminated. Um, but I, I think this is a has been a fun way uh, to get casual fans and diehard fans more involved in the season. And I'm interested to see what Adam Silver and the league are going to do to take next steps to kind of refine and perfect this this thing because I, I I'm fully taken by surprise I will admit that I was wrong gentlemen I was completely wrong shocking words from mr Oppenheimer <laughs> I I think the the tweaks thing is where the conversation should be though right like I think we all agree whether we thought it was gonna happen or not that this is working something good is going on here uh, what little tweaks could be made in my opinion I'd move it back like two weeks the start of it and the like the whole thing keep it the same keep, let it unfold at the same rate mm-hmm. but just move it back like two weeks the reason being i can survive off the excitement of the start of the season a little longer than i think yeah. they thought we could and i would prefer that the gap from now to the all-star break be a little more entertaining later so like two three weeks later on i think that's fine bill simmons you know well-known NBA podcaster made a suggestion that the game should be at MSG and not in Las Vegas. And that it's if the Knicks did make it, it would be a home game for them, obviously. But that Las Vegas is practically a home game for the Lakers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they did make it, and we saw that. And so 
at that rate, you might as well lean into it and go with the city that has the most people from all over the country. Yeah. Because that way, no matter what teams make it, you have a shot at both of them having yeah. fan representation. I kind I kind of like it. I kind of like the idea of reaffirming Madison Square Garden as the mecca of basketball and the NBA straight up saying, hey, this is the best place to have games. We're going to put our big, shiny trophy games here. The finals, teams earn the right to have it at home. We're not going to make them play where the Knicks play. But the in-season tournament, we want a neutral ground. Let's do it. And say the Knicks do make the bracket, then make it a Vegas year or something. I don't know. Move it to the Barclays. I guess that's still New York. Yeah, I, I, I love that idea. I think selfishly, you know, we're all from the New York area, so I think we'd love to have the games here as opposed to out in Vegas. Uh, I think I agree with all of Chris's points. It would affirm New York as the mecca of basketball and Madison Square Garden. It would all be great. I do think, yeah, you, the, there is a the complication. Oh, what if the Knicks make it? But I think, quick little sidebar, the NFL, you know, if a team makes the Super Bowl and the stadium where the Super Bowl is being played is decided years in advance, like we saw with the Bucks and the Rams, like, hey, it happens every so often. It is what it is, and it's not like season ticket holders – it's not like the seating will be the same as regular season, right? It, it's it's still going to be treated as a neutral site game and with all of the factors, with the experience and all of that. I think that'd be great. I personally think I'd like it to just be home games, kind of just the way um, the finals are. I know the kind of counter-argument to that is that in the finals it makes sense because it's a seven-game series. You have both teams with the opportunity to play their games at home. Here, it's kind of hard only one team, it's a single elimination game. So there's not really a solution to it, but I love that idea because personally, I don't really care why, why Vegas. Who cares? I, I The players like going there, but why? There's no NBA team there yet. Um, I was going to say, give it a little bit. Yeah, right. I think Vegas and Seattle, that's going to happen in the next few years. I think we all know that. And LeBron's going to own the Vegas team. Yeah, he'll <laughs> definitely have a stake in it, that's for sure. I, I think, um, yeah, look. I would love for it to be in New York. I don't know if that's really the biggest issue to be tackled with with the tournament itself. Right. But I definitely think the point remains. Sure. Ben? I think some games at MSG would be absolutely electric. But at the same time, you know, bringing up Bridges, talking of of Las Vegas, you know, the players like it, but what's there? I think some would criticize those games being at MSG as being – uh, showing favoritism towards big market teams, mm. and the we've fact seen that, there that is no team in Las Vegas, right? Is, yeah, right. Yeah. And we've seen that before. I mean, with the Knicks when they've had their real dark years, talking Jose Calderon and, and Lou Amundsen years, those <laughs> kind of years, they still had a significant amount of games on national TV, and there were yep. some people who were bothered by that. Where smaller market teams, they were. You know, maybe getting an NBA TV appearance every now and then. But Knicks, it's like when they had Jose Calderon, Lance Thomas, that whole squad back six, seven years ago, they still had many games on TNT. So my point is, is that as much as I would love MSG to be the place where, where, where these games happen, I think that would also be showing, that would be criticized as showing favoritism towards, you know, the biggest market in the country. And so Las Vegas, I think, is is really up and coming. I mean, they've got the NHL team. They've got the, the Raiders A's are now, going over there. The A's. Yeah. Everyone's going over there. And I think when the NBA expands in a few years, I think they're going to get a team. Um, I think they're, they're first in line to get a team. And I think it's good for Las Vegas to get more exposure 
as a market in that way. I, I think that that's really cool that that those games are being played there during the regular season because we're used to it just being a you know a summer league right. kind of outpost, and then we don't really see it at all in the regular season. So I think that you know personally. The, the Knicks fan in me would love to see games at MSG, but at the same time, I really like what, what they have going on in Vegas, and I think that's drawing more attention to it. And I think that's also going to help Vegas with their case to have an, a brand-new NBA team. Yeah, they um, have the arena there, right? Is it yeah. the T-Mobile arena? Yeah, so that, yeah. All the recipes, yeah. all the ingredients are there. And mm. I love to see when a new market gets gets a brand new team i think that's very exciting mm-hmm. so i'm actually i'm kind of in the vegas camp bridge interesting i'm, I'm going to disagree with you there yeah. even though obviously i am a new yorker uh nothing beats msg no. and it's not like t-mobile <laughs> arenas is competing with msg but yeah. but i like to see the little guys or the littler cities mm-hmm. um get more of the shine okay all right well i, I think that's not only a, a good take but a well-presented one let's stay on the topic of the in-season tournament and just talk quickly about last night's happenings yeah. um we'll start out east because that game was first and it's probably the more in-season tournamenty game of the two it's the bucks and the pacers the pacers after knocking out one of the powerhouses in the east and the boston celtics moved on to another one and the milwaukee bucks and the young hungry run-and-gun pacers must have really wanted that tur- that tournament bonus because they defeated the Milwaukee Bucks and and I'll tell you guys it was a close game a lot of the way but they out hustled them and they played harder down the stretch and from the opening tip uh, I know Milwaukee held a nice lead at the start too um, Indiana deserved to bounce back with the way they were playing and the way they were sharing the rock yeah Indiana looked fantastic I was close all the way through until halfway through the fourth quarter uh, they they pulled away. Look, Milwaukee played well. Giannis gave you 37. That's what you expect from him in a game like this. This was also the first of the neutral site games, right? They're all home games now. Semifinals and finals are in Vegas. So kind of a no no team really had an advantage in terms of that. Um, I think the we see this on Twitter and Instagram. The excitement around this Indiana Pacers team is is really awesome. I mean, Tyrese Halliburton, I mean, he has a there's a conversation to be made that he's putting himself in the MVP combo. I mean, I know it's early in the season, but I mean, he's putting together Case one heck made. of a campaign. Um, the Pacers are, of course, not re- not haven't really been good for a while. Um, they're a very young team, as I said. He had 27 points, 11 of 19 shooting, and he led this team to victory last night. Of course, we know Obi Toppin all too well, now playing over there for the Pacers. They have a nice team. Buddy Heald, Bruce Brown, Miles Turner, you know, some nice pieces to work with. And they've really started to gel in recent weeks. And I actually wasn't really surprised by this result. I would have thought the Bucs were going to win, but I thought it would be close. And honestly, because of what we talked about, the prize money, right? The Pacers are a young team. Yep. 500000 means a lot more to guys that are making, you know, a lot less than maybe uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo, right? You know, some of the, the Bucks players. So I think they had a little bit more to play for. They're a little hungrier. I don't know if that's going to become a theme of the in-season tournament, that it's the younger, scrappier teams that want to fight because, but hey, it's a fun. bonus. That's fun. It's, it, no, if, but yeah, I, I'm, not, oh, I'm not saying it's a bad thing at all. If that does saying, become characteristic yeah. of the tournament, I'm actually okay with it. And not only am I okay with that, I think that because of the timing of the tournament, even if you do move it back like Chris suggested, which I, I agree with, I think that can almost jumpstart and catapult you as a team 
a team that maybe you, if the in-season tournament doesn't exist, hey, maybe the Indiana Pacers are still doing well. But if they win this in-season tournament, they get this whole boost of confidence. Like, hey, juice, yeah. we can do this. Maybe they make some moves at the trade deadline. Maybe they get a little bit more aggressive. And, hey, maybe they make a run and they win the real, the real thing. So my main takeaway, it was a fun game. The Pacers, they did what they had to do. They're going on to the finals. And uh, we'll get to the second game in a bit, but definitely a much better game than that. Well, in the same way that Las Vegas is upstart as a city, I think Indiana is as a team right mm-hmm. now. Mm. I mean, Halliburton, he almost, in some ways, he maybe it seems a little bit far-fetched, but he kind of reminds me of Jalen Brunson mm. in the way that, that he's he's blossoming into a star at the point guard position. Now, they, they may play in different ways, but it, in terms of them being given the, the keys to being the leader in the locker room and controlling the team's offense, I, I think Halliburton, he was an all-star last year. He was a bit injury-prone last year. He was out for two weeks, um, only played a little over uh, 50 or so games. And he, he's averaging right now, he's averaging 27 points per game, or just about 26.9, uh, 4.2 rebounds per game, 12.1 assists per game. That leads the league. And That's the number, yeah. Yeah, and that, that's really, that, that, that really stands out there. Um, he's doing that in 34 minutes, and he's just, as I said, he's blossoming into a star. Um, and he's exciting to watch. He had a great game last night, and... I think this this Pacers team has a couple of solid guys. Miles Turner, we're familiar with him, 17.1 points per game, 8.0 rebounds per game. Just quality guys. Yeah, yeah. It's just such a well-rounded team. Absolutely, 100%. Um, And, you know, I was talking with Chris about this earlier. Their offense right now, per possession— is the most efficient in NBA history. That that that's extremely hard to believe, um, but I think it's because, as Chris was was discussing uh, with this about me or discussing this uh, this issue or not issue, but this this feature of the Pacers team. Um, this is because of Carlisle's coaching, and he had a similar type of style. In Dallas, and I think it was it was a mistake for them to to let him go, in my opinion. Um, but he's bringing that to Indiana, and he's getting exactly what he wants out of the offense. Everyone seems to be playing within their role that that they need to play. That the chemistry is good, um, and they're hungry. They're hungry right now, and I think the Bucks were a bit complacent last night. Um, and you know, just just looking at Giannis. He had a great game, uh, but you look at, uh, you know, obviously Damian Lillard, uh, he struggled last night. Uh, 7 for 20, 35% from the field. Uh, you know, that, that's not exactly, you know, still at 24 points, um, but you want to see some more efficiency from Lillard, especially, you know, on the offensive end to make up for the shortcomings that he has on the defensive end. Um, and so I think the Pacers exploited those weaknesses um, on Milwaukee's team. Not to say that the, that Indiana is necessarily better. I think this is still kind of a, a fluke upset. Um, but it's because the Pacers got Milwaukee at the right time. Right time, just right place, right time. Mm-hmm. And they took advantage of it. And now they're headed into this um, this championship game against L.A. Yeah, lack of bench points, too. The Bucks only had... Uh... 
13 bench points. Can't win games by doing yeah. that. Jay Crowder in street clothes, you know, rotation a little a little tighter. Adrian Griffin um, might might be struggling a little bit as a first-time head coach. You know, there was a report that after the game, Bobby Portis addressed Griffin was talking to the team and, and talking to Portis about his rebounding and something, and Portis was like, let's talk about your late-game offense. And everyone was like, yeah, actually, coach, let's talk about that. Um, and there was kind of like not a confrontation but a, a tense, awkward conversation in the Bucks locker room after the game yeah. where it was like, hey, we want to play hard for you. We want to execute your ideas. We need you to, like, have ideas. Um, I think maybe Griffin is a – this is a complete guess, right? I'm just going to – take something out of the hat here and throw it at you maybe just a little overwhelming to be on a team with so much expectations wise yeah, first year head coach yeah, first year head coach you got to coach dame and Giannis playing together for the first time on a team where everyone expects you to be in the finals or at least in the eastern conference finals maybe sometimes just overwhelming something like drawing up a play with two minutes and 12 seconds to go in a game where you're in a different city and not playing at home or on the road or yeah. you know like I, I can i can totally understand it but it's also good of Portis to step up as one of the veteran leaders in that Bucks locker room. You know, Bobby Portis used to have a rep, guys. He used to just be associated with Nikola Meritich because he punched him in the face <laughs> at Chicago Bulls practice. Yeah, I forgot yeah. about that. A dirty player. <laughs> right? That was the rep. But now Bobby Portis, everyone loved him that finals run year. In the city of Milwaukee, it was like he was their mayor. Yeah. Um, he's totally revamped himself, I think, stopping by in New York City for a cup of coffee oh, with I the forgot Knicks, about that. Having a 30, <laughs> he was on the Knicks. Having yeah. a 30-point game against the Bulls and all those fourth-quarter threes he was hitting, I think, helped his image a little bit. Yeah. The Knicks paid up to get some talent on the team, and he was criticized as being one of the too many power forwards they had. But he was a good player in New York, and he's, he's always played hard. Um, yeah, I know people that know Bobby, and he's always been like a hardworking NBA player. He's from Little Rock, Arkansas. He loves his yeah. community. So shout out Bobby Portis. Um, I think you take a look at the other side here, and I'm going to use this to pivot to our second game. Mm. Why did I just spend so much time talking about Bobby Portis and what kind of teammate he is and how he revamped his image in the league? Well, I think there's a power forward in New Orleans Ooh. who has quite the reputation right now. And his team got trampled last night by 38-year-old LeBron James. I mean, LeBron, his defense looked 2018 level. Remember that 2018 season in Cleveland? Yes, played the, all 82 yes. games. The gray yeah. jerseys. That was an incredible year for they him. They had those gray, sh- the, the gray no sleeve jerseys with the, the sharp V neck, uh, and and that was the year he hit the fading three against Beal and just that that that, After, that was like the off the was that the one off of the full court lob yeah, yes, into the yeah, corner yeah, from yeah, Kevin Love yeah yeah, yeah. Yep. so that the 2017 that was after he missed a layup let's not forget that that was a horrible <laughs> yeah, missed layup 2017 2018 LeBron James was LeBron when he was like 33 and we were like this might be the last athletically dominant season we get from this guy mm-hmm. he looks like that now at yeah. 38 that's freaking ridiculous and and what he did was he showed Zion up to an extent where reports came out today that the Pelicans have been asking him to get in better shape, and he won't do it. The Pelicans are so embarrassed by their star player that they've stuck by getting shown up by a 38-year-old that they leaked a report to make him look bad, to make it look better for them. I mean, it's just a mess in New Orleans right now. We could talk about the -the off-the-court stuff all we want. Anything you guys saw on the court? Or you want me to go first? I'll start briefly. I think... It's so frustrating because yeah, I've been watching Zion for a while. I was watching watched him at Duke, and it was like, yeah, man, this guy might be one of the. A lot of the headlines are like he's one of the biggest, possibly the biggest 
prospect since LeBron was a headline I kept reading. I know that's always an overreaction, but he was very hyped up and he's been hurt a lot. He, you know, last year, I, I don't even think he played last year. It was, it was so, such a mess. I'm going to say it. At least he's playing now, but he gave you 13 points. It, it, that's awful. And I mean, it was a lethargic 13, man. He was yeah. The way he was moving yeah. up and down the Thank court. Thank you. Too. That's what I was just about to say. Just the way like he was the lack of effort and the, the body movement itself, I'm like, it looks like you're playing at Planet Fitness, just <laughs> running with your buddies on like a Sunday afternoon or after work. Like, what is that? That walkthrough intensity. That, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, seriously. And then the rest of the starters, they didn't do you any favors either. I mean, CJ McCollum, 4 of 14 from the field, uh, nine points. Come on. Uh, Funny enough, it was uh, he Trey Murphy off the bench actually was your leading scorer. Gave you fourteen. Zion gave you thirteen. They really your leading scorers give you fourteen. I mean, they're not going to win games. Um, the Lakers just were the more complete team. LeBron looked as good as he's looked in a long time. Perfect from three. He had that sequence where I think he hit three in a row. Um, he was nine of twelve, thirty points, eight rebounds, and five assists. Anthony Davis did just enough, right? Guy get 15 rebounds. That's all you need from a guy like him. Gave you 16 as well. And Austin Reeves off the bench, 17 points. I think this Lakers team is as well-rounded as it's been in a long time. I think this version of the Lakers is kind of what they were looking for when they were in the Western Conference Finals last year. Yep. And they got swept. The, the, this yeah, is like the yeah, more yeah. complete version. I think this version of the Lakers definitely gives those Nuggets more of a run for their money. I think Reeves is higher on the scouting report. I think he's not ready for it. I think that's okay because you got guys like D'Angelo Russell, yeah, D'Lo, who, who can have the ball in their hands and make that all right. So what about Torian Prince too. I mean, he's, he's three and he's, he's, Yeah. So these these Lakers are different from last year's Lakers in the sense that they have guys. They have more guys. I don't think they have a lot of guys like this, but they actually have some guys that can be a star in their role. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really important for this Lakers team because that's what you need around LeBron James is star star role players. Why do you think he always used to have former All-Stars aged into role players be his role players? Because they know what a star needs. They know what kind of support a star needs. They know what to do. It's like here at WFUV when you produce a podcast and it makes you a better host because you know how to work with your producer better. Mm. That's why LeBron had all these former All-Stars, aging Ray Allen, you know, all these guys. how to win just know how to do their job they know how to do their job and help lebron win and i think the lakers this year with guys like tory and prince are getting back to that i I never they never should have gotten rid of contavious caldwell pope oh such a mistake they traded him he's thriving in denver but i've always thought he was a good player and he always gets clowned because he got drafted by like the pistons and had a lot of memeable plays there at the start of his career but i always thought he was such a great player to have next to lebron james and they traded him for Russell Westbrook. Mm. <laughs> and it was just so stupid. Yeah. And now you see them with Torrey and Prince kind of getting back to that formula. You know, hey, we got LeBron and AD. Who can go? Let's bring back D'Angelo Russell. Let's try and keep some talent around. But also, who can we go out and get that's going to help us win basketball games with the goal of not let's get the best player in a vacuum. Let's not just get Westbrook. Let's not just get D'Lo. Let's not, no, let's have D'Lo as a third option. Let's get these guys who can play around LeBron and AD. It's working for them. I think their bracket was kind of a cakewalk. Yeah, they got um, lucky. 
you know, maybe intentional by the NBA. I'm not here to push conspiracy theories. We'll leave the tinfoil in the kitchenette over there. But I, do you I think just, they're happy it's the Lakers instead of the Pelicans in the finals? Yeah, I, I do think. Well, you well know, speaking of conspiracies, Knicks would have been. Oh yeah, I mean that was my dream, dream for them. We Lakers can talk Celtics. Lakers, Lakers Kings 2004 all day talking about conspiracy. Oh, the conspiracy, yeah, yeah, yeah I know. Yeah. But uh, anyway, I, I, I think. Or sorry, go sorry, ahead. I, I was going to say, let's wrap this segment with what you guys think. So I was gonna I'm gonna jump the gun on you there. Lightning round. Everyone just give me your um your prediction. It's it's the Pacers, it's the Lakers. Who's winning? And then like a sentence, why? Lakers? They have LeBron James. Yeah, I think uh I'm gonna go with Bridge on this one. Lakers have had so far this season they've had a healthy LeBron and A D as well as D'Angelo Russell, a couple of other solid role players, and I think that's going to be enough to stop Halliburton, uh, you know, getting his points um, on the defensive end. I, I think the Lakers will, will be able to get some stops, and also they're going to contribute on the offensive end. So I, I think it, it'll be a close game, but I think the Lakers will come out on top. I, I'm going man i want to <laughs> i want to just fade you guys so badly i think this tournament is made for the pacers but ultimately miles turner is really good he had some incredible dunks last night but anthony davis seems to be on a mission here after having a really rough game the other night seems to be on a mission to prove something and and lebron as well so i'm just going to go with this duo that Remember the last time there was kind of a weird situation in the NBA where teams met up at a neutral location to play games with high Bubble. stakes? Who won that? Mm. Going to go with those guys. Yeah. So that's it for me. Let's take it out east. We got two segments left here, and they're pretty simple ones because right now, shockingly, neither of these teams have much drama surrounding them. Yeah. So usually it's one of the two. Right <laughs> right now, it's zero. Let's start with the 12-8 and eight New York Knickerbockers. We're going to bring it here to New York City and cover our local teams. Um, as a New York Knicks beat reporter, I just pulled rank here and just said we're going to do the Knicks first because they're the better ball club. And, Obviously. Uh, well, you know, in-season tournament, got to follow up. we talk about the Nets? So 12-8 and eight for the New York Knicks. They're tied with none other than the Indiana Pacers mm. for the fifth seed in the NBA's Eastern Conference. They have a game tonight at 7.30 p.m., just after this podcast will release, against the Boston Celtics. So that's a big-time opponent. Guys, picks for tonight's game and – We'll get into more after, but just do you think that the Knicks bounce back from that in-season tournament loss? I think it'll be tough because it's at Boston. You know, Boston right now, they're in first place. Uh, they're in the finals a couple years ago. I don't. We don't need to, 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 to waste time explaining how good of a ball club they are. Um, the Knicks are underdogs for a reason. Yep, Celtics favored by seven and a half. Yeah, points. so they're giving them about a, about a touchdown or so. I think... Look, I think the Knicks right now, when you look at the Eastern Conference, they're in sixth place, but they're only three games out of first. Right, still early in the year. Uh, about 20 or so games have been played by most of these teams. Uh, three games is not a lot. Like, if the Knicks beat the Celtics, all of a sudden, they're only two games out of first place. You know what I mean? Like, this, you look at them, oh, they're 12 and 8, they're in sixth place. But, hey, they're right there in the thick of it still. It's early, I know, but I just wanted to point that out. I think in terms of where the Knicks are at at this point, they're exactly where I hope they'd be at. Of course, you would say, oh, you wish they'd be better, but they've won some good games. Randall's definitely looked 
a lot better than 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 last year. I like what he's been doing. Jalen Brunson, of course, is giving you exactly what you wanted, and I think R.J. Barrett too, to an extent, is 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 you know doing what you want. Yep. Um, I think those three guys. Chris knows better than anybody. That's how you're going to win games by going through those three guys. Quickly's also been giving you a nice 15 or so a game, and then interior Mitchell Robinson, old school center, gets your rebounds. He, he can't make his free throws, but he gets year. his rebounds and he gets his blocks. Offensive so, rebounds. Yeah, no, he keeps possessions going. So yeah, I think the Knicks are really good where they are. I think they need to keep gelling as a team. Definitely tough to see them fall to the Milwaukee Bucks, but they made it through their group in the in-season tournament for a reason. They were winning games, right? So yeah, it would have been cool to see them go all the way. But at the same time, we were talking about the in-season tournament earlier. I was watching the game, and then it's when the Bucks pulled away, I was like, I guess I don't really. It's the in-season tournament. Like we don't really know how how it's valued yet. We have to wait till somebody wins this and how it's valued from a legacy perspective and also how the players value it. We know how the finals and winning a championship is valued. How is this in-season tournament going to be valued? There's this argument on Twitter. Hey, if the Knicks won this, do they raise a banner? I'd say, no, come on, really? <laughs> don't do not do that. Maybe, or maybe you do because maybe that's how they value it. But I personally think... I think that well, cheapens it. But I think, yeah, I, we don't know what it is yet. That's the thing. But right. kind of my point, Knicks are in a good spot. Uh, tough game on the road against the Celtics, but not a, it's not a game that they can't win, is my point. Yeah, I think the Knickerbockers are they're going to take a W in, in Boston tonight. I'm confident in them uh, coming off of the rough rough game against Milwaukee. Um, and last season they had a great record playing in TD Garden, uh, and they performed well there, and they weren't phased by you know the often uh, rowdy Boston crowd. And what what I think has been a theme this year for the New York Knicks has been patience. I mean, look at Julius Randle. He's averaging right now 21.5 points per game, uh, along with 10 rebounds per game, 5.5 assists. That's great. And he's shooting at a 43% overall percentage from the field. I think that's solid, especially coming off of those first five games start. Yep. of this season. Yep. The guy was making basketball look like rocket science. It, it was hard to watch. It was, it was insane. Just, you know, I wondered what was going on. It was almost reminding me, you know, speaking of the paces earlier, it was reminding me of Roy Hibbert where he just <laughs> forgot how to play basketball and he just looked like he needed, uh, you know, a self-help book out there or, or something. Um, mm. And so Randall looked like that in the first few games of this season. And the whole Knicks fan base was pretty annoyed obviously they were wondering what's going on they were impatient and I think it just shows that with this squad it's it's sometimes it's going to be ugly and sometimes you need a couple of games to get in rhythm and I think Randall is that type of player um, where it was just give it time I, I asked Colin uh, your fellow uh, Knicks beat reporter mm. Chris and uh, I asked him after the first five games what are your thoughts on Randall and he was like give it time you know he's not a superstar but He's going to get his numbers. He's still a star in his own right. Um, and so he's showing that. Um, Look at as, Colin, man. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And Colin was uh, – he gets the Nostradamus nickname instead of me. Usually I'm Ben Stradamus after the Diamondbacks, but um, that, that goes to Colin. Um, but, yeah, I, I think what's impressive about the Knicks is they, they've recovered from that abysmal start, particularly Randall. Um, and Barrett, I, I think he's going to look to prove himself in games like tonight, uh, where you know he's averaging close to 19 points per game, 
3.9 rebounds, 2.6 assists. He's looking to be more efficient from the field. He's only shooting 41.8% overall as a field goal percentage. Um, and I think Barrett is going to try to have games where he's shooting, you know, over 50%, maybe even 60% from the field. And I think tonight is one of those games where, where, where Barrett is going to look to to assert himself as that third fiddle uh, kind of guy. Uh, because if he doesn't, you know, speaking of patience, the Knicks front office, they might get a little impatient with Barrett this season. It, it's been four years for him. And uh, I think people are, are saying around the league, but also within the Knicks organization, it's time for RJ to really – uh, come into his own and he mostly has but he it can arguably be said that he hasn't turned into a real star yet and so I, I think nights like tonight are where multiple guys are going to look to prove themselves uh, quickly of course um, you know great off the bench um, Josh Hart DiVincenzo all the guys I, I'm confident that it's going to be a great game tonight and I think it it's going to end with the Knicks on top yeah, I mean, I got to say, guys, tonight it's tough. Boston just got beat by the Pacers in the in-season tournament. Um, I think they want to get revenge for that against somebody. I think the team lining up for their revenge is a team that they feel they have to protect their home court against because of last season, as Ben was saying. So I am going to go with the Celtics tonight. I do think they win. They're favored by 7.5 points for a reason. Not sure they'll cover that spread, but um, this is not NFL Friday, so <laughs> we'll save the the picks against the spread for that show. I, I do think the Knicks will put up a valiant effort tonight. I just think they'll fall flat. You know, a couple shots won't fall. Um, they'll miss a couple of rebounds, and it'll it'll feel tougher than it really is in, in reality. Um, in regards to how they stack up against the rest of this this pretty vaunted East right now, I mean, you take a look at their roster, and it's a team that on its own with just what it is, like we said, is tied for fifth. You know they're going to be behind Philadelphia and Embiid, and you'd probably pick them in a playoff series because of Maxi and his emergence as well as Embiid's dominance. You know they're going to be behind Boston, a team that has traded draft picks to acquire some more star talent and that already had star talent as a result of being traded draft picks, Tatum and Brown, and then, of course, speaking about Holiday and Porzingis, um, and Milwaukee, who they they pushed in chips to New Orleans to get Holiday. They pushed in chips to Portland to turn Holiday into Lillard. The teams that are better than the Knicks are the teams that either have someone who's arguably the best player in the NBA or teams that have pushed in, mortgaged their future to establish the right. roster that they have. Right. Check out the rearview mirror. Cleveland, Atlanta, two teams that gave up three first-round draft selections. Cleveland gave up three first-round picks and Laurie Markkinen, an all-star starter. Atlanta gave up two unprotected first-round picks and one unprotected first-round pick for DeJounte Murray to then extend him. And those teams are not as good as the Knicks, despite having big-name talents that Knicks fans fawn over. Evan Mobley, Darius Garland, Donovan Mitchell. Oh, well, the Knicks beat them in five. Um, Zach Levine, DeMar DeRozan, Vucevic. They need to tear it down two years ago. Um, all these yeah. cores that Nick fans have idolized and fawned over uh, are not better than what the Nick fans have. And what else the Nick fans have is a team that has yet to push in any of its chips. Quickly, Grimes, both still on the roster. 
both parts of what the team is doing and winning quickly a little more so this season because of Grimes' shooting struggles and because of the fact that the Knicks have made his offensive role so one-dimensional so that when he is in a shooting slump, it seems like he can't do anything, uh, when in reality he's still a great defender. Um, guys like uh, McBride and Sims that, that shore up, that kind of, you know, oh, you want you want a little throw-in in a, in a trade yeah. for a star, a little Deuce McBride action. Um, but... They also have all their own draft picks and surplus draft picks from other teams. So just the Knicks are in a fantastic spot in the Eastern Conference. They're good now, and they can be way better. If a star is available, they have a package to give that will leave them probably with at minimum two all-NBA caliber players, assuming like Barrett and Grimes would go in a trade or something like that, and they would keep Randall and Brunson. Maybe move Randall down the road, but as of right now, you've got two All-NBA, All-Star caliber guys. You've got a great young core. You've got all your draft picks. You've got other teams' draft picks. You've got a coach that loves to win and a front office that clearly knows how to put together a basketball team. I think they're in a great spot. Chris, I just want to add, um, talking about how the Knicks already have so much in the reserves right now as an organization, just having all the draft picks, having not sold out any of their players, and keeping the young core so far, it goes back into that theme I was talking about of patience. If a deal that works, that is the right fit, comes along, they should take it. But looking at what happened with the Hawks and the Cavaliers, they don't want to sell their assets that they're they're going to end up regretting doing later on. And especially that goes back to the PTSD that Knicks fans have from in 2010, I'm sure you both remember this, when the Knicks traded for Carmelo Anthony with all of their, basically their whole starting lineup, it was gone, and they could have easily gotten Carmelo in free agency that summer in 2010, and that they could have kept their draft picks, they could have kept, um, I, I believe it was Wilson Chandler, that, that was a major, major part of that deal. Um, and, and so that decision cost the Knicks literally like, six to seven years, arguably like almost a decade. And so I think as an organization, they've they've learned from that. But I'm hoping, or Knicks fans are hoping, that they don't go back into those old tendencies, to those, those get-rich-quick tendencies, uh, because it can lead to disaster in terms of their, their direction as an organization. Um, and so, Chris, I, I, I agree with you. I think they're in a great spot right now, but they should be careful not to mess it up on a trigger-happy deal that looks good at first, but they end up regretting later on. Absolutely, guys. Well, let's leave the Knicks there because as their season unfolds, it really will be up to the front office to decide when it's time to make that move, and we'll talk about it when they do. For now, it's just a good basketball team. You can't really factor in potentially making that move so far away from the deadline, so we'll get, we'll get into who that guy should be whether they should make that move, who they should make the move for as the season unfolds. But let's get down on the four train to the Barclays Center. The Brooklyn Nets playing some decent basketball. They're 11-9, and and they have the ninth seed, sole possession of it, in the Eastern Conference. Last time out, a game against the Atlanta Hawks, where they were led by McCall Bridges' 32 points. So they don't have their own draft pick. They can lose as many games as they want, and they won't be rewarded for in terms of draft capital. Is this a team that should be making a push for the play-in? Or do we think they should be selling off pieces like Dinwiddie or Dennis Smith Jr. that are proving this season 
to have some value. Where are we with the Brooklyn Nets? Ben, I'm going to send it your way first this time. What should the Nets do? Should they push and be a fun play-in team, try and sneak into that 8-9 seed in the play-in, maybe even the 7? Or do they understand where the value is, try to just hold a little bit of a garage sale, cash out, and develop young talent, move guys like Clowney and Whitehead up from the G League? Give them minutes. Look, I actually think, and maybe I'm in the unpopular minority opinion here, I think the Nets should try to compete for a play-in uh, because, you know, they're, they're a scrappy team. They're, they're coming off of, you know, a, a time period in their team history where people thought they were going to be a dynasty, and their three stars that they had, they only played, I believe it was a total of not even 20 games together. 16. At 16? Yeah. And... So they're recovering from that, and I believe it's almost similar to the Nets, how they were recovering from that trade for the big three uh, back in 2013. And going back to trigger-happy decisions, Chris, that was a trade that cost them years. And so right now, I think that instead of just going down into the dumps and you know just letting the the G League guys come up and having a low-pressure season, I think it, it would be a great service to Brooklyn fans to have them try to compete and and really just try to squeeze the most out of this season. Because um, I, I think that would be beneficial to them as an organization because I, I think they have a solid core right now. You know, Mikal Bridges, um, I almost wish that the Knicks picked him. Uh, because you know he's he's just a solid all-around player. Twenty-three points per game, six point two rebounds per game, four point zero assists per game, one steal per game. Um, you know he he's he can shoot, he can space the floor, he can defend well. Um, he he's kind of a Swiss Army knife. Not 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 the most athletic player, um, but I I think he's just an example of you know the Nets as a whole. They are similar to their uh, Crossboro neighbor in that. They're not the flashiest team. That they don't have, um, you know, they don't always have games that that look the prettiest. But but they have a good core that could lead to, you know, some great seasons later on. So I think this season they should just try to make the most of it. Don't, I don't want to say tank, but don't uh, just give up and and make it a developmental season for the young guys. Just try to try to make the most of it. Squeeze out the season like an orange, uh, because. They're in a relatively surprising position right now, eleven and nine, uh, fourth, um, or fourth in the Atlantic Division, but but they are, I believe, in the NBA standings, ninth, uh, ninth. Um, so they're obviously they're still absolutely within contention uh, to to make the playoffs and, and the play-in. Um, and so Brooklyn, you know, they almost remind me. One thing I'll add, they almost remind me of D'Angelo Russell's team in 18 to 19, which was surprisingly fun to watch. I don't know if you guys remember that. Oh, I do. Um, and they, they went into the playoffs. They, they lost versus Philadelphia, but they had a solid core that season. And it was it was Russell. It was, uh, I believe it was also uh, Dinwiddie, obviously. Jared Allen. Uh, Jared Allen. Um, and, yes. And that was, I, I think, a good example of, you know, coming out of that long, dark rebuild where they finally started to breathe and got some fresh air. Now, unfortunately, that that core basically dissipated with signing uh, Durant and and Kyrie in the summer of 2019. So, again, 
the Nets should just stay the course right now and in the same way with the Knicks, um, make the most of the season. They're in a decent spot and just be patient. Patience is the key to building teams that, you know, have lasting success over time. You've seen that with the Warriors, the way Bob Myers built that team. And I think teams across the league, they're, they're trying to emulate that. I think Brooklyn needs to emulate that this season. Yeah, I get it. I mean, listen, for me guys personally, you're a team without your own draft pick. So if you choose to lose games for the purpose of losing games, it's stupid. Right. If you want to lose games because – the thought is we're going to do our best with the group we put out there. If we lose, it's fine. Okay. But the reward of that is supposed to be the draft pick. You just made two first-round draft selections last season in Derek Whitehead um, and Noah Clowney. Those guys are playing a lot for the Long Island Nets. <laughs> you know, they're not getting NBA time. I think that's okay. Uh, but selling pieces just to give them minutes, you know, just look to next season. I know it's kind of crazy, but I think the NBA needs more of that. I think the NBA needs more of, hey, this rookie is going to spend the whole year in the G League just getting reps, learning how we do things our way. Do I think the G League is the number one spot for development? No, I don't. I think everyone down there is trying to make it out of there, and so it's kind of a tough reality. Um, There's a really good book called uh, i believe it's i can tell you guys if you give me three seconds live on air here to find the name of life in the nba g league by alex squadron really great book talking about the real day-to-day of being in the g it's not the best experience but it is experience (laughs) and i think that the nets should keep doing what they're doing no they should not send out draft capital in exchange for upgrades to try and really make a push but they should allow this team to keep gelling, allow this team to keep going out there and fighting, give Jacques Vaughn a real shot at trying to have a feisty playoff team. We see coaches get those shots all the time. Vaughn goes from interim to finally accepted head coach in Brooklyn. Give him a shot. Do right by him and do right by guys like McCall Bridges who are here and, and representing your city really nicely, going to all the Liberty games over the summer. Do right by them and, and let them just try to win ball games. Um, they're not going to. But learn that lesson the hard way. Show them they need either more help or to tear things down. Um, I think not having your own draft pick makes that possible. Assuming there's nothing else from you guys, no last-second predictions, that is going to wrap up this week's episode of Pick and Pod. It was such a pleasure to be here with y'all talking NBA basketball, talking the NBA in-season tournament. And talking Knicks and Nets. So stay tuned to WFUV Sports' social channels where you can find all of our coverage of the Knicks, Nets, NFL football, NHL hockey, you name it. And stay tuned to our podcast feeds for weekly episodes just like this one of Pick and Pod, a production of WFUV Sports. Thanks for listening.